you open your Bible to Acts chapter 1, please? Acts chapter 1. May we pray together. Our Father and our God, we pray this morning thou wilt bless those who are in sorrow. That member and family of our church whose home was invaded by the death angel early this morning. Pray thou wilt comfort them. And bless those who are sick. Some who are in the hospital right now listening to this broadcast. We pray thou wilt comfort them and bring healing. And for every person in this auditorium and in our larger auditorium across the radio ways, many who need Jesus as personal Savior. May the Spirit of Christ do His office work of conviction, drawing them to Christ. And may those who are saved rejoice in the Lord. And in a few moments, we pray that folks would come and take a stand for the Savior, indicating both to heaven and earth that they're on the Lord's side not ashamed to stand for Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A number of years ago, one of the famous authors of America wrote a biography of the last year of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And in the opening pages of that biography, the last year only, he made this observation he said, Franklin Roosevelt, in the last year from April 1944 to April 1945, seemed to be a man in a hurry. A man in a hurry. We may not agree with many of the things Mr. Roosevelt did during that last year, especially is it hard for many of us to agree with the Yalta Conference, with the division of the world that gave so much of the world to communism. But at any rate, Franklin Roosevelt was a man in a hurry. And you and I need to be men and women in a hurry. In the midst of a wicked and adulterous and perverse generation, people in a hurry to get the glorious gospel out to the ends of the earth. The Lord gave the word and great was the company of them that preached it. In Acts chapter 1, the Lord Jesus had already been crucified. He had been buried. Three days later, he was raised from the dead, and he had appeared to the disciples on several occasions. And now he was appearing to them just before he was to ascend back to the throne of the Father. The disciples came to him and said, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And with this commission, Jesus once again reminded the believers, the saved, the church, the Christians, that we had but one task. That task was not fellowship. That task was not worship, though all those things were important. The supreme task that Christ assigned His church, and this was the church of the New Testament, 
to which these words were given, to whom these words were given. Jesus said, ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And thus we had, have an outline of the spread of Christianity from the time of Jesus' ascension until this very hour. The church was to make the gospel known in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And one of the interesting things about this commission and assignment is that it is a simultaneous assignment. It is not a matter of reaching everybody in Jerusalem and then going to Judea and reaching everybody in Judea and then going to Samaria and reaching everybody in Samaria and then going to the uttermost parts of the earth, but it is a simultaneous command. We're to reach the people in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth all at one time. The early church didn't understand that. And so the Lord had to allow a severe persecution to come. And in the middle of that early revival in the city of Jerusalem, when perhaps half the population had been saved and were added to the church, right in the middle of that, there came a sore persecution. And the Bible says that people went everywhere preaching the Word, and the Word of God spread across the then known world. I hope God does not have to do that again to us in 1978, but rather that we might accept the challenge, the commission that Christ has given to us to tell the good news, to tell the story of Christ in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth all simultaneously, all at one time taking the gospel, knocking on doors across this city, across this county, across this state, across this country, and to the ends of the earth, all at one time. Now the early church was empowered by the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.15, we read that there were 120 people in the upper room. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came in fullness of power, those early disciples went everywhere preaching the Word across the streets. We're not to think that Peter, when he stood up to preach, was such a magnetic personality, such a Billy Graham or Angel Martinez of his day, that the thousands in Jerusalem flocked to hear him preach. Now, of course, that happened. But as a prelude to this, those disciples, those 120 who had been in the upper room, who had prayed and on the day of Pentecost were filled with the Holy Spirit, they went out across the city of Jerusalem gossiping the gospel. Everywhere they went, they told about Jesus Christ. They colored people and talked to them about the Lord. And this book says that every man heard the Word of God in his own language. There was a gift of tongues on that day. Now, the gift of tongues was not an ecstatic utterance. It was not a prayer language, but rather it was given to fulfill the Word of God so that the people of Jerusalem who had come from all over the world could hear the gospel in their own language. And when those 120 went out, they told the gospel of Jesus Christ in the language of the Medes and the Persians and people from Cappadocia and from Bithynia and from all over the then known world. 
and they heard about Christ. And then when Peter stood to preach, 3,000 souls were added to the Lord, and all 3,000 of them incidentally were baptized, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Now there were 3,120. If you turn your Bible to Acts chapter 4, verse 4, but many of them who heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. So now there are 5,000 more. This means 8,120 were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ before the end of the fourth chapter, perhaps just a matter of months in that early church. Now anybody knows where there are 5,000 men, there are going to be 5,000 women. And where there are 5,000 men and 5,000 women, there are going to probably be five or 10,000 children. And so the mass population is beginning to explode in the Christian faith. Already 8,120 just by strict mathematics. But possibly, in all probability, there were by now already 25,000 people added to the Lord. Now look in the last part of chapter 4. In verse 29, Now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. But when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. And immediately, in chapter 5, verse 14, and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. No longer were they just added, no longer were they just numbered, there were multitudes being saved. And by the time we come to chapter 6, verse 1, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, now there's a difference in addition and multiplication. Two times two equals four. Four times four equals 16. Now notice, two plus two equals four. Four plus four equals eight. But if you multiply four times four, instead of getting eight, you get 16. And the scripture says the disciples began to multiply. And 16 times 16, 256. And then 256 times 256, 65,536. And on and on, the disciples began to multiply. Why? Because the disciples took the commission of Jesus seriously. Now, who were these disciples? They were just common believers like you and me. They were people who had been saved by the grace of Christ and had gone out ignited by the fire of the Holy Spirit and were telling everybody what Jesus had done. Now, lest we think it was easier in those days than today, look at Acts chapter 28, verse 24. We have the reaction of, to the gospel of the disciples and of the people of Jerusalem and of that day. And this is a commentary on the reaction that people have had through the ages. Acts 24, 28, 24. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. It has always been that way. When we were in Korea, I don't want to paint such a glamorous picture that you think that it's so beyond normal that it isn't at all like America. We went out and knocked all Sunday afternoon on doors. Now, Korea is not a backward nation. There were high-rise apartments. 
The difference is that in those high-rise apartments, we were permitted to go in and knock on doors. And the difference is that when we just ask, will you come, there were 80 people that joined us that afternoon to go out and knock on doors. And when we knocked, some believed and some believed not. Now, admittedly, the door was open. And almost every place we went, there was courtesy. In that country, you take your shoes off before you enter the door, before you go in their house. But almost invariably, we were invited into the house, and we took our shoes off and went into their house. They don't, in their multi-purpose room, perhaps we'd call it a dining room or whatever, there are no chairs, so we sat on the floor. I had the privilege of getting my little Korean testament out and sharing from that testament with a person I had never seen in all my life. Some of them had never even heard the gospel, and they received Christ as Savior. I said to the interpreter, how is it that so many of these receive the gospel the first time we approach them? He said, Brother Bay Kuksong, he said the Korean people are hungry for something they do not have. All they've ever had is Confucianism and Buddhism, and they are hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not all of them believed. Not all of them received. Some would say, let me think this over. Some would say, not today. I'll come to the crusade, and so on, or I'll come to the church. But many believed Christ. I think it was that way in that early church. We went across to Japan. I had the privilege of going out, knocking door to door with Brother Tak Oi, our missionary. Brother Tak is a tremendous person. When he met me at the airport, I had a whole bunch of suitcases, and I got this porter to help me. Brother Tak was waiting outside, and this porter helped me, and I had given him a, a gospel track and tried to talk to him about Jesus, but he couldn't understand my English, and I couldn't understand his Japanese. And Tak came and just beautifully gave him the gospel of Christ. And that porter in the Tokyo International Airport asked Jesus Christ to come into his heart right there on the spot, first time he'd ever heard the gospel of Christ. But we went out some days later and knocked door to door. Some of the people were open, but others were closed. That's been the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ down through the ages. Some have believed and some have not believed. During this fall program, we're having a campaign of outreach and witnessing and soul winning. Dr. J. Harold Smith will be with us in October for a life commitment crusade. Angel Martinez will be with us in November. Homer Lindsay Sr. will be with us for a weekend in late November. All through this fall, the program is geared to place solidly on the hearts of God's people at Glendale Baptist Church and our larger church family by radio the imperative of getting the gospel to the last person in this city, in this county, in this state, and in this country, and to the ends of the earth. Why? Four reasons. Number one, because of the mandate. Jesus said, go ye. Go ye into all the world, in Matthew 28. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
And in Mark 16, 16, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And in John 20, verse 21, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And in Luke 24, ye are witnesses of these things. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Because of the mandate, we must go and make disciples. We must go and urge people to come to Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're not saved, or if you listen by radio and you're not a Christian, and somebody, you, you've wondered, well, why is it that these people are constantly talking to me about becoming a Christian? What difference does it make to them? I want to tell you, Jesus loves you. And he sent his, his people, his believers, out to a world to say, God loves you. And he wants to live in your heart. Number one, because of the mandate. Number two, not only did Jesus give us a mandate, but he reminded us of the multitudes who are without Jesus. Multitudes in the valley of decision. They are watching. They are waiting. In America, there are 215 million people. 215 million. 60% of this 215 million are affiliated in some way or another with some kind of a church. This includes little children, babies that are on the rolls of some churches. It includes everybody, born again and unborn again. It includes all the religious people of America. But statisticians have told us that probably fewer than 24% of the people of America really have been born again, really know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. In Korea, there are 35 millions of people Fewer than 20% know Christ as Savior. Brother Bay Kuksan told me there were 3,000 villages in Korea that have never heard the gospel of Christ. Bay Kuksan said he was 16 before he ever heard who Jesus was. Never even heard of him. He had been a Buddhist and Confucius all of his life. He had never even heard of who Jesus Christ was. Never heard the name. Across our world, there are millions of people who do not know Jesus. Right here in our city, there are people who do not know Jesus. And the commission, the mandate is upon us because of the multitudes without Christ. And thirdly, because of the multiplication of our discipleship. If you want to extend yourself, win somebody to Christ. Have you ever thought, how could I? I wish I could be two or three people. You ever thought that? I'm so busy, boy, I wish I could be two or three people. I've heard mothers say that in their homes. I wish I could be two or three people. How many of you have ever felt like you wish you could be two or three people? Lift your hands. Several of you, yes. Well, I want to tell you how you can be more than two or three people. You win somebody to Jesus Christ, and you will multiply your ministry. Ed Kimball was a Sunday school teacher in Boston. He taught a class of boys, 17, 18, and 19 years old. He had a young boy in his class named Dwight. Now, Dwight didn't know anything about the Bible. He had just moved to Boston. And when uh, Mr. Kimball would say, turn in your Bible to Genesis, young Dwight would turn way over here and look and look here, and he didn't know where to look. 
And Mr. Kimball would say, turn to Revelation. This young boy would look over here. He didn't know where to look. Finally, he became so embarrassed. Everybody else seemed to know more about it than he did. He just dropped out. He didn't come to Sunday school one day. And Ed Kimball found out where the boy worked. He was a shoe salesman. He went downtown in Boston, walked in front of that shoe store and started to go in, and the devil said, don't go in there. You'll embarrass that young boy. He don't want to talk about religion in front of all those people. And so Mr. Kimball walked on down the street. The Lord said, you better go back and speak to him. He turned around and went back. The devil said, don't go in there today. You're just bothering, embarrassing, bothering, pestering. Don't do that. Mr. Kimball said, I walked on down the street, and then the Spirit of Jesus said again, you ought to go. Go. Ed Kimball said, I turned around and went in there before the devil could say anything else to me. And I found Dwight in the back of the store wrapping up some shoes. Dwight told the story later in his life. He said, my Sunday school teacher came when I was working. He put his hand on my shoulder, and I think with tears in his eyes, he said, Dwight, I love you, and God loves you, and I'd like to see you open your heart to Jesus. Dwight said that very moment, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. The Lord came flooding into my soul. I was saved standing in the back of a shoe store. Now, the world has never heard much about Ed Kimball. We don't know where he was born or where he died or where he's buried. Matter of fact, the only thing we know about Ed Kimball is that he won Dwight L. Moody to Jesus Christ. But what do you know about Dwight L. Moody? Dwight Moody won a million people to Christ before he died in 1899. Ed Kimball multiplied his life through the life of Dwight L. Moody. You can do the same thing. Because of the multiplication, as you invest your life in bringing other people to Jesus Christ, God will expand and extend your life and your ministry into the lives of other people. Fourthly, not only because of the mandate, not only because Jesus reminded us of the multitudes who are without Christ, and not only because of the multiplication that we can make of our life, but because of the millennium. One day life here is going to be over. We're not going to be here forever. Someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now shall sing. But oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of my king. Perhaps there some soul will come and say, All hail, beloved. But for thee, my soul to death had been a prey. If it hadn't been for you, I wouldn't be in heaven. If you hadn't come and told me about Jesus, I wouldn't be in heaven. Heaven is what makes it worth it all. How beautiful heaven must be. Sweet land of the happy and free over there in that city. Just suppose somebody comes up to you and says, Joe, Mary, Miss Jones, Mr. Smith, because of you, I'm in heaven. Isn't that, doesn't that make it worthwhile? That's the reason we're urging you to reach out at any cost and win people to Jesus Christ. Do all you can. God grant that this church shall do all we can to reach that last person for Jesus Christ.
joining hands where we can with others, but going out to comb the woods and bring people to Christ. That's our mission. That's our mandate. That's the marching order. And we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Jesus commissioned the disciples, the Christians, to go. But some cannot. Jesus, I need you. I invite you into my heart. I don't want to be lost. I want to be saved. Some who have joined us by radio in this closing moment could say, Lord, come into my heart. I want you, and I need you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Our Father, we pray this morning that someone who has never received Christ as Savior will come to Jesus today. May this be God's hour of victory. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please. <clears throat> Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. Into thy glorious liberty and light, Jesus, I come to thee. We're going to sing this hymn in a moment. What page is that? 233. Find that and then look at me a moment. 233. I want to urge you today to come to Jesus Christ just as you are. There are two groups of people in this place this morning. We're all sinners, but some are saved sinners, saved by the grace of Christ. You've been born into the Spirit, by the Spirit of God, into the family of God. You know you're saved. There are others who are lost sinners. You've never been saved. The Bible says that if you die without Christ, you'll spend eternity separated from God to make a difference how good you are. You may be fine. You may have come from a wonderful home. You may be morally excellent. But you see, the Bible says all our righteousness are like filthy rags in His sight. For there are things that we do. And you and I at our very best, are motivated by self-interests, selfishness, pride sitting on the throne. This is sin. And Jesus warned, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you can't enter heaven. The only way it can exceed that is to receive Christ's righteousness into your life by impute, imputation. By coming to Christ and believing that what Jesus did when he died on the cross was enough to cleanse you. And you invite him to come and live in your heart. If you'll do that today, he'll save you. You may say, but I don't understand how to do it. If you'll come, we'd like to share with you from the Bible exactly how to receive Christ. Would you do it? I urge you to come today, just like you are, out of your bondage, sorrow, and night into Christ's glorious liberty and light. If you're already a Christian, 
God may have spoken to your heart about coming into the fellowship of this church, coming to follow Jesus in baptism, coming to move your letter while you're living in this city or a student here or working here. You come. There are Christians that ought to come and take a new stand for the Lord. While we begin to sing, who'll step out first for the King? Will you come now?